Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to bring you expertise and insights into the expansive crop and farm insurance landscape. Here, trusted members of our own FMH team, as well as industry experts, will discuss new products, business developments, and innovative solutions with you, our listeners. Well, hello and welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. This once again is Ryan Bennis. And today we are talking about rainfall index policies. I am joined by Chalk Hefner. Chalk is, uh, has been a guest of this podcast before, but he's one of our resident experts on rainfall index policies. Chalk, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience again? Yeah, hello everyone. I'm glad to be back on the uh, podcast today. I uh, really enjoyed getting to be a part of these and uh, looking forward to visiting about our rainfall index policies today. Awesome. So if you've never heard of a rainfall index policy, hopefully you've heard of one of the three types that there are. So we've got PRF, which is pasture, rangeland, and forage, AF or annual forage, and then we also have apiculture. And thank you, Chalk, for correcting me earlier this week. Um, it is not apiculture, it is apiculture. Apiculture is the practice of raising bees for honey. Um, and if you stick around to the very end, we do have a little bit of trivia. We're going to put Chalk to the test and see how much he really knows about this stuff. So we're going to give you some harder questions. All right. So first of all, though, we're going to talk, what are rainfall index policies? Why are these three lumped together? And, and what do they cover? Well, I can, I can tell you what they cover. They cover our lack of rainfall. And without getting into too much further detail, that's really all that they cover. Um, the producer is ensuring themselves against a lack of rain. So Chuck, tell me a little bit more of the detail of rainfall index policies. And just for our audience's sake, keep in mind that at least at this beginning part, um, these, uh, the rainfall index platform for policies is the same for all three, just used a little bit differently. So go ahead and take it away, Chalk. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, we have uh, data, and this is historic rainfall amounts uh, across the entire continental United States, so the, the lower 48 states, um, from 1948 to current. And so we get that data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Agency, uh, which is NOAA for short. So if you've heard that acronym, N-O-A-A, NOAA, that is where RMA gets their data. RMA has also went through uh, across the entire continental United States and broke up the country into grids. And these grids are split up into quarter degree latitude by quarter degree longitude. Uh, that comes out to be about 17 miles by 17 miles. If you're on the equator, since we are not on the equator, our grids are a little taller than they are, are wide. Uh, so we're about 12 miles wide here in Kansas where I reside, uh, but still about that 17 miles tall. So what we're looking at is the historical amount of rainfall that's fallen within these grids uh, across the United States. We then break up the entire calendar year or parts of the calendar year, depending on what policy we're talking about here, uh, into what we call index intervals. And these index intervals are two-month time periods uh, from January, February, February, March, March, April, all the way throughout the calendar year uh, that we place a percent of value of our insurance in. So we div divvy up our, our uh, liability into the different two-month timeframes, 
that we want to insure. And uh, that's how we kind of determine where our liability lies. Very nice. So, Chuck, are you telling me that everywhere you go, there's these gridded out areas that NOAA and therefore RMA are keeping track of rainfall in? And I think you've told me this before. They've been keeping track of rainfall in those grids since 1948. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. Awesome. So essentially, producers then are able to ensure a percentage of that rainfall within the grid. And again, it does depend a little bit on which policy we're talking about here, about which uh, intervals you have the ability to purchase. But long story short, for all of these, you can purchase up to a 90% level. So 90% level, very similar to our RP policies where it's you know, 85 or 80. This case, the highest level you can go is 90. And 90 is not just the level. That is actually the percentage of rainfall that you'd be insuring against within each interval that you've placed value in. So the government and NOAA, RMA, are tracking the rainfall in these grids going back to 1948. And essentially, they've come up with an average And if we fall below 90% of that average and we've elected a 90% policy, then we're going to start getting paid. The further we fall below 90%, the more we're going to get paid because there was less rainfall. That's right. That's right. Scott, can you add some detail on what a productivity factor is and and where we come up with the values, subsidies, throw some of that at us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so RMA has also went through and, and established um, uh, what they call the county-based value for each county across the United States. Uh, and so the county-based value um, is a dollar amount of insurance that they have placed within this county. Uh, so let's say in McPherson County, Kansas, where I live, uh, for easy math for my simple mind, let's say the county-based value for grazing acres is $50. And so RMA has said that we can insure uh, at $50 an acre. Now, the productivity factor allows us to vary from that. So I might have more productive grassland than that. And so I can go up to 150% of that county-based value of $50 an acre to get $75 an acre coverage. Or I can go down to 60% of that number and get $30 an acre by taking 30% or uh, 60% times our county-based value of $50. So it's really, it's pretty awesome how RMA has given us the flexibility to uh, deviate from there's one set number for the entire county to allow our insureds to really customize the policy to fit their operations needs. Uh, And in turn, of course, when you increase or lower your liability, uh, you are also increasing or lowering the premium that the producer will pay as well. Now talking about premium, Uh, This is an RMA product, Uh, so all three of these are RMA products, and so there is a premium subsidy uh, that is associated with the PRF, annual forage and apiculture policies. Uh, And of course, that depends on the the coverage level that is selected. At the 90% coverage level, the product is subsidized at 51%. So the producer is paying just under 50%. They're paying 49% of that total premium. If the producer chooses an 85 or 80% coverage level, then the subsidy rate goes up to 55%. And at the 70 and 75% coverage levels, the subsidy rate goes up to 59%. Uh, 
Uh, so it's a very highly subsidized uh, policy here for any other PRF annual forage or apiculture policies. No, it's great information, Chuck. And essentially what we've laid out here is between the historic rainfall within these grids that you can place value in, in different intervals, that is the basis for all of these policies. And that's why they all fall into the same category of rainfall index policies. And if you think about it, whether it's pasture or forage or bees that need uh, basically uh, grass, <laughs> flowers, whatever, chalk, hey, I'm not a bees expert, but they need, they need the, uh, the rain essentially to have the vegetation to support their hives, their colonies. All three of those have need for rain, and that's why this policy is set up the way it is. So now we are going to talk about each of those three types of policies in detail here. And we're going to start with the most popular one, which is PRF. Again, that's pasture, rangeland, and forage. And I'm going to give my best crack at this, and then Chalk's going to help fill in the details. So first of all, pasture, rangeland, and forage, it's specifically for perennial crops. So crops that we're not planting every year. And with PRF, well, Chuck mentioned the county-based values, and PRF has two very distinct categories that have different county-based values. So those categories are haying or grazing. So a farmer, a rancher is either going to have ground that they hay, might be alfalfa, or they're going to graze. And obviously that would be um, setting cattle out to pasture. Obviously those are gonna have two different values. And just as an example here in say Dallas County, Iowa, where I'm sitting today, the haying value for Dallas County is probably around $350 to $375. And again, the producers can buy a percentage of that between 60 and 150. The grazing values here in the same county are gonna be around $80 an acre. So there's definitely less value in those grazing acres or that pasture ground versus the forage ground. Sales closing date and the acreage reporting date for PRF are on the same day, which is now for the 22 crop year, December 1st. And one of the big appeals of this policy is how low maintenance it is, because you do everything basically at the same time of the year. You sell the product, you report its acres, and you don't have to do anything after that, because even a claim doesn't require a claim to be turned in. It's just going to automatically happen when we receive, FMH receives the data from government saying how much rainfall fell within each of these intervals. And then this is probably the most unique part of a PRF policy, which is that unlike many other policies that RMA offers, you have the choice to ensure as much or as little of your eligible acres as you would like. So if I have a thousand acres that would qualify as PRF ground, I don't have to insure a thousand acres. I could choose to insure uh, half of it or a fourth of it, or maybe just one field. I don't have to insure the entire 1,000 acres. And um, I can insure those um, for whatever value I want. I'm supposed to use that product productivity factor to try and range in my own, um, my own risk. But again, that's up to the producer to determine what kind of risk they want to take on because they're going to pay for it in terms of premium as well. And Chuck already mentioned this, but it's just available 
in the continental U.S. So sorry, Alaska. Sorry, Hawaii. I'd be very interested to know if any, anybody in either of those states is listening to this podcast. But if you are, I'm sorry. Uh, there is no PRF available in Alaska or Hawaii. Now, with that, it would be nice to uh, it would be nice to be listening to this podcast from one of those states. I don't care which. (laughs) I know which one I choose. (laughs) (laughs) I know which one I choose. Well, maybe give it a couple more months. I'll I'll go to Alaska too, but uh, not right now. I'll I'll take Hawaii. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next, I'm I'm gonna maybe uh, let you take this one, Chalk, since you you uh, educated me on how to say apiculture. Uh, it's for the bees. Tell us more about apiculture. Yeah. Well, before we move on to apiculture, I, I would like to uh, touch base on a couple things uh, with the PRF. Okay. Um, one is uh, grazing acres. So grazing acres are any any native grass uh, that producers are uh, putting domesticated livestock out there on. So um, grazing acres uh, don't have to be grazed by cattle alone, although that's going to be the most popular. Uh, but it can be any domesticated livestock. So um, I've even visited with producers who who are uh, are buffalo farmers, buffalo ranchers, uh, and so PRF fits that mold. I'll also say with uh, with grazing acres uh, that the insurable interest in hang and grazing is a little different. Hang acres, the insurable interest comes down to the hay crop. So whoever has that insurable interest in that crop, uh, and whoever has uh, whoever owns that crop is going to have the insurable interest in that crop. For grazing acres, it's different than that. Grazing acres goes to the insurable interest of that livestock. So just because I may own a pasture uh, does not mean that I can have an insurable interest, that I do have an insurable interest in a PRF policy. I must have livestock grazing out there. Um, and so that's a very, very important point to distinguish. Uh, we certainly don't want to have producers purchase a policy without actually having an insurable interest in it uh, and then come find out later that uh, they didn't have a policy there and have to pay back any indemnity. So right. uh, be aware of that on our grazing acres specifically. No, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for slowing me down there, Chalk. And those are some very good points. So now I'll give you a chance. Apiculture, tell me more about the bees. Yeah, yeah. Apiculture. So. Uh, Ryan, you and I are alike in, in, in a lot of ways, I think, and uh, apiculture is one of them. Uh, the only thing I really know about raising bees is that I like to eat honey. Um, <laughs> as far as the, how, how the PRF policy works for it, uh, or the apiculture, the rainfall index policy works for it, uh, apiculture works pretty much exactly like PRF does. We just sub out the word colonies for acres, and there's no intended use of haying or grazing. Uh, involved with apiculture. So we're, we're worried about ensuring colonies of bees, not acres of ground. And, uh, and, and it works the same. We worry about the amount of rainfall that falls within those index intervals we choose to, to ensure in. Perfect. Perfect. No, I, um, I have to say that I, I have a habit of doing this and my wife can probably attest to this. She thinks it's embarrassing, but when we go to a farmer's <laughs> market and I see people selling honey, I always ask them if they have heard of apiculture insurance. And I tell you what, the percentage that haven't is still fairly high. Uh, So if you're looking to pick up business on the weekend, just go to your local farmer's market. (laughs) You might be surprised how many have never heard of apiculture. 
I'm glad I'm not the only one that takes work with me pretty much wherever <laughs> I go. <laughs> it's just too fun to not talk about. It. I tell you what, Chuck. So I, I usually get some free honey samples out of it as well. But <laughs> hey, hey, have, speaking of that, do, I don't know if you had them as kids, but those like honey straws. Oh, yeah. That had different flavors. Yep. Man, it's been years since I've had one of those. If they have them at your farmer's market, you're going to have to pick me up. My some. kiddo loves those things. And every time he goes past one of those, yeah, he loves those straws. Yep. So yep. can't blame him. All no. right, Chuck, back to business here. All right. Annual Forage is our last uh, product on the list here. It's probably the most unique and has a little bit of a twist to it, unlike PRF and apiculture. So you're the best suited to talk about this, Chuck. So I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah. Okay. Uh, annual forage is uh, specifically, um, cr- was specifically created for annually plant- planted forage crops. So annual forage was uh, specifically created for annually planted forage crops. Uh, that can be wheat. That can be silage, sorghum, uh, triticale, uh, really anything that producers are utilizing to feed cattle, whether it's uh, by chopping it for silage whether it's by grazing them on those acres, um, anything like that, annual forage can, can cover. Annual forage, the insurable interest does go to the crop in this instance. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like our hanging acres under PRF. And this policy is only available in kind of the central United States. So uh, think from Texas and New Mexico, north to North Dakota. So Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota are the states that annual forage is available in. Um, With annual forage, since we're talking an annually planted crop, uh, this this is a little different. We have a sales closing date of 7-15, July 15th. That's a pretty popular date within a crop insurance industry. Uh, That's our acreage reporting date for most of our spring crops there. Um, So sales closing date is July 15th. And then we have different growing seasons throughout the year. We have four growing seasons. uh, So the year is split up into four different growing seasons. And we have an acreage reporting uh, deadline associated with each one of those growing seasons. Now, depending on when a producer plants that annual annual forage crop will depend on what growing season that falls in. Each growing season only has about six months of of the crop year of the year to divvy up in the two month timeframes. And so we're not insuring across the entire crop year with an annual forage crop. We're only insuring across about six months and it's broke up into two month intervals, uh, just like our PRF is, uh, but uh, we can't insure across all 12. There's also a dual use option within the annual forage policy. Uh, In my neck of the woods, Kansas, Oklahoma, a lot of the area I cover, uh, in these two states, a lot of the annually planted forage crops is our wheat crop. Uh, so that's a little different than, than most people think about. We may plant a wheat crop uh, and go out and throw cattle on it, uh, let our yearlings graze that wheat pasture until the spring, and then we'll pull them off and let the wheat grow, and we will harvest that wheat for grain uh, in the summertime. So we're getting a dual use uh, out of that wheat crop where we're getting it for grazing acres as well as for grain. It used to be when annual forage first came out that we had to choose, or do you want to insure that wheat crop under annual forage or do you want to insure it under your multi-parallel policy? And you couldn't insure it under both. Uh, recently, RMA came out 
and uh, allowed us to insure it with both policies. Uh, however, we take a reduction on our annual forage policy. So it's reduced amount of liability uh, placed on our, our annual forage policy, and then we can still insure that uh, for 100% on our multi-parallel policy uh, and get the value out of both practices. Chuck, um, I'm gonna jump in here. Um, this is from a, a town kid. Are you telling me that cattle are out on wheat in the middle of its growing season, just stomping away and eating away, and there's no problem with that? You are correct, Ryan. You are correct. So oftentimes producers uh, that plan to graze their wheat crop will plant that wheat early in the fall. Um, there is no earliest plant date for wheat. Uh, so you can plant it as early as you want. Uh, and then we can go out and we can graze it uh, and keep that. Essentially, wheat's a grass, right? And so we can graze off that grass as much as we want in the fall and through the winter. And then we do need to pull those cattle off early enough to not, uh, not hinder our yield. But we can get uh, a little bit of extra value out of our wheat crop by, by using it for grazing acres. Nice. No, that's very interesting. And in, uh, annual forage is um, taken off in popularity. It's the youngest of these three um, in terms of, of how old these policies are. Um, but they've all gained in popularity over the last few years. Um, and, and I'm going to take a crack at trying to explain that uh, because you probably have heard, hopefully our agents that is out there have heard more about PRF annual forage and apiculture because um, it has increased in popularity so much. So number one, I think uh, generally uh, these are simple policies, very simple. Um, the amount of decisions, the amount of thought that has to go into them are not that much. There's typically less paperwork than what you would have with a, a revenue protection policy. And it's pretty low maintenance because there is no keeping track of claims or anything like that. That is all done automatically. Another element to this is, is data transparency. So you heard us mention that the rainfall data has been tracked since 1948. And RMA shares that information with us. So we could look up any grid in any part of the United States and look up what that historic rainfall was for that grid all the way back to 1948 within these two month intervals. So for instance, in Dallas County, Iowa here, I looked it up uh, today for our two month interval of uh, April and May, which we're not done with May yet, we're estimated at only about 50% of our rainfall uh, that we would typically have. Now that's an estimate so far, we won't know that final number until later, but that's just one simple example showing that we have the information there going back quite a ways. And so I think it makes folks feel better about the policy, knowing that they can see everything right in front of them. They can see when, okay, if I look back at a 2012 in the Midwest here, I can see clearly that for the months of June through August, September, it was extremely dry and those numbers bore out that way. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the cool thing about our quoting tool is, is one, it helps explain the policy. It throws in the numbers of the county-based value and, you know, you get, to, you get to play with your productivity factor. You get to play with the different levels. Uh, but then it also adds validity to the policy by looking back at that 2012, let's say, and look at the June, July, August, September, and see how low that rainfall was. Uh, there's been a number of times that I've been visiting with producers while we were looking at our quoting tool, 
and they'll say, hey, check out 1983. I remember that that winter was extremely dry. So we pull up 1983 and lo and behold, maybe we had 10% of rainfall in, in throughout the winter. Uh, so it, it's really interesting how we're able to look at that past data. And it, like I say, it does create some validity to the program overall. Yes, no doubt. Now, here's another element to it that I think might even be a bigger reason for its popularity. But as you mentioned, Chuck, the subsidy rate on these policies is fairly high. It's actually not out of the ordinary when, it, when you compare it to our other policies. But the subsidy rate is, is a good one, about half, a little bit more than half for lower levels. Um, and that result uh, of the subsidy and the fact that we have the ability to spread our values out means that there can be very frequent payments with PRF, annual forage, and apiculture. So in the range of 70 to 90% of the time is when we actually realize some sort of loss. And typically that is because the producer and the agent have chose to spread the values out so that they have multiple intervals that they've placed value in. There's different rules for each one of these, but for PRF being the most popular one, you can place value in anywhere between two and six intervals. And most folks are choosing to place value in either five or six intervals. There's exceptions to that, no doubt. But when you actually have that much or that many intervals where you could possibly collect on when rainfall is lower, uh, it definitely increases the chances that a payment's going to be made. At the end of the day, though, when we look at these losses, uh, they're not any worse than what our losses are, say, on a traditional revenue protection policy. They're basically about the same. It's just that we have payments more frequently. Mm-hmm. So, Chuck, um, talk a little bit more about those strategies, if you would, um, and why ch- people might choose to, to elect more, pol- more intervals, excuse me. And then I know you've also been a proponent of checking out some of the lower levels of coverage, as yeah. 90% is the most popular, but uh, there's still a reason to look at some of the other levels as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll start with the the, the lower coverage levels. Uh, so, you know, ninety percent is is on awfully high trigger, and I I really uh, think that there's value in that high trigger. But I will also say that when you lower the trigger down in eighty five percent, you're gaining another four percentage points of subsidy there, um, and the rate goes down as well because we have more of a deductible. Uh, and so I think it's very important to uh, not be narrow-minded and say 90% is the only thing I'm going to ever look at with PRF, uh, I would encourage everyone who, uh, who has already purchased PRF policy to look at an 85%. Uh, quote that out, see what that looks like, um, and see how that might fit your operation too. Um, and then, you know, you get down to 75%, you're giving up a decent amount of that uh, top-end coverage by going down to a 75% level, but that 59% subsidy, subsidy is still really high. Um, and the rate goes down. So it, it offers some pretty cheap coverage uh, for the um, lower coverage levels there of 70 and 75%. No, that's, that's great, Chuck. And I guess I'll just throw out this. It's, when it's dry, it's dry, right? That's and right. so uh, if the interval has gotten dry, I would say you're, we're not experiencing a whole plethora of instances where we're falling between 85 and 90%. Of rainfall. If we have a dry summer, typically, at least in the in the Midwest here, 
if we have a very dry summer, we're going to see 40, 50% of our average rainfall, not 70 or 80%. Uh, so we're well under the deductible that it would require to get a, a payment. That's right. That's right. All and then right. as far as uh, talking about spreading value out across the, the year and some strategies there, uh, you know, the, w- with our perennial grasses, moisture is needed throughout the entire crop year, really, for, for us to get the value out of that grass. Um, you know, we, we can be really dry in the winter and try to get some spring rains to try to catch us up, but it's really difficult to catch up a perennial grass without moisture throughout the entire year. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that I don't, I don't necessarily look at when producers are grazing the acres. Uh, I, I try to have producers think about when is the rain needed uh, throughout the entire year for you to have success in your grazing operation. And oftentimes it's, you know, if we do have a four month dry stretch, we're going to be in trouble no matter when we're going to be grazing those acres. So spreading that value out not only uh, may increase the frequency of payments, but it also makes sense from a risk management standpoint. The other piece is, uh, you know, on the eastern third of Kansas, we've got the Flint Hills that roll through. It's a beautiful area. Uh, I would encourage everybody to come to Kansas uh, and drive through and check it out. Not a plug. I, I don't work for the Kansas Visitors Bureau or anything like that. Um, but the Flint Hills I'm, are something to take in. I'm glad sure. you can say that with a straight face, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad. I, I will not be inviting anybody to the beautiful landscapes of Iowa. You, you know what, what you're going to see here. Corn yeah. and beans. Corn and soybeans. That's it. That's right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So the Flint Hills are, are large expanses of grass, right? And so producers may travel. 20 miles uh, to haul water in dry years. Uh, so it's not necessarily just the idea that we are going to have um, uh, a potential payment in dry years that we don't have the grass to graze, but it's also for the times that we have to haul water to make sure our livestock have that water to, to drink. Uh, in, in 2012, 2013, and in some other times in recent history, uh, we've certainly seen that we're having to haul water every day to different pasture uh, throughout our, our grazing lands. And that, that becomes expensive. The additional fuel, the wear and tear mm-hmm. on tractors, and the time involved to haul that water uh, is an added expense that uh, a lot of producers um, just kind of call it doing, doing business. You know, it's just part mm-hmm. of business. Well, this policy can help out in those, those situations. Right. So there is one element there, at least, where um, we're getting helped out by these policies more than just the fact that it's dry and we don't have as much grass out there essentially, but that it can help pay for those added expenses when it is dry. Um, Chuck, one last thing here on, on spreading these intervals out and, and why that has been the most popular um, method when it comes to the strategies with PRF and annual forage, uh, apiculture as well. Premium is due on 12-1 or December 1st for both PRF and apiculture. Uh, As those payments occur throughout the year, typically your first payment especially is going to go towards premium as a credit, or at least part of that payment is going to go towards premium as a credit. So if we have intervals that are in the first half of the year, or at least through probably August, um, those payments are going to go towards our premium and it may be that in some instances, in fact, uh, oftentimes if we're spreading this out, 
that there is no bill by the time we get to November 15th because those payments have uh, credited our premium to uh, below zero now or into a, into a payment back to the producer. So anything to add to that, Chuck? I know that's another feature of spreading this out that can really help support the producers. Yep, yep, absolutely. RMA doesn't officially announce the final grid index until 45 days after that index interval is closed. So we won't know what that official rainfall amount comes in at until a month and a half after that is closed. That means that the August-September interval will be the last one to close prior to our premium being due. Uh, That final grid index should be announced around the 15th of November, and those payments should be applied to premium if that hasn't already been paid prior to that December 1st termination date. Uh, Now, I say should be, because there have been times when the final grid index does not get announced timely. Um, Remember that even if there is an outstanding claim, producers still must pay their premium prior to that termination date. And by doing so, that prevents them from going on the ITS list. Um, The the ITS list, in case uh, anybody's listening and doesn't know, that's the naughty list, essentially, from (laughs) from RMA. And you don't want to be on that one because then you can't buy crop insurance. So um try and stay off that the best you can all right chuck i have a few trivia questions for you uh no doubt you know what you're talking about here chuck but these are going to be a little bit more difficult for you so my first question to you is we have this vast amount of land out in the western united states in particular Uh, a lot of it is ground that would be eligible for prf or annual forage what percentage of that ground today is currently insured under one of those two policies? Looking Ooh. for a percentage. Okay, so as far as a percentage uh, of ground covered, insured with a PRF or a rainfall index policy, we've gained in popularity with the product, but I'm gonna say we're about a quarter. Let's, let's say 25, 28%, I'll go with 28% of the ground. So, Chuck, you were very close there with 28%. It's actually 31%, 31%. So that's very well done. Uh, that said, though, as popular as these products have become, that's still less than one-third of eligible acres that are in these programs. So by our count, there's 650 million acres that would be eligible for either PRF or annual forage, and 202 million of those acres are insured in 2021. Now that is up from 160 million acres in 2020, 140 in 19, just 98 million acres in 18, and 75 million acres in 17. So we've grown almost threefold in five years, four years. Um, So you can see that the popularity of PRF and annual forage continues to increase. And Ryan, despite all the increase that we've had in the last five years with this product, we've got a ton of potential out there. We do. And in my mind, I flip that around and I say, you're telling me we got 69% of the uh, grazing acres out there that are eligible to be insured? No doubt. Sign me up. No doubt. And, and I would caution, I think um, even we, Chalk and I probably get our heads stuck a little bit, uh, thinking west of, the Miss- uh, west of the Missouri at least. But there's tons of opportunity. Uh, in the eastern half of the United States as well. 
there's plenty of forage grown in the upper Midwest. I'm talking Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, and, and some of the northern parts of our I-states as well are going to have lots of forage ground and pasture as well that would be eligible for these types of programs, um, for PRF at least, I should say. Okay, next uh, question, next trivia. What are the top states for these rainfall index policies? I have the top six here. I'm going to have you guess and tell me how many of those. Let's see how many of those six you can get, Chalk. This is okay. for 2021. Top six. Well, I'll, I'll start with uh, Texas. I mean, everything's bigger in Texas, right? That's a, that's a check mark. That's a ding ding. That's a winner. Texas is yeah. number one. Okay. Uh, then, then I'm going to keep going west. I'm going to go uh, New Mexico and Arizona. Yes, yes. Uh, California, another big one. Yes, that's four out of six. Um, I'll go with Nevada and Utah. Nevada is correct. Utah is not. Utah is not. Oh. So that's very well done, though, Chuck. Five out of six. I'll just name them off in order here. Texas is number one. You got that. Number two, Nevada. You got that one right. Just for some numbers and reference, though, Texas almost three times the size of the next biggest here in Nevada. So Texas had 2.8, no, excuse me, $282 million of premium in 2021. Nevada, just over 100. California, Arizona, and New Mexico, all there in that 70 to 85 million dollar range number six Here's the sixth though. one number, number six, six not utah florida florida you got these huh. big blocky states out in the western united states and then florida uh on here as well so florida actually um this surprised me but i've been down to florida enough times I, i've seen it now lots of cattle produced in florida lots of pasture ground down there and in addition to that, I also think Florida gets a little boost by apiculture as well. So uh, Florida coming in at number six on the list. Okay, last question for you, Chalk. In 2020, what rank of crop was PRF in overall premium? And what I mean by that is our top crops for the crop insurance program, uh, no, nobody would argue with this one. Number one would be corn. We also have some other popular crops out there, soybeans, wheat, et cetera. Where do you think PRF falls in the list as far as overall premium generated from PRF as if it were a crop? Okay, yeah. So uh, corn and beans, of course, reign supreme there. I'm going to leave those two at number one and two. Uh, then next, cotton and uh, wheat are pretty close. And I think PRF is in there. And I'm going to say that PRF has probably overtaken one of those two and is a uh, number four crop in RMA's listing. Once again, Chuck, not quite right, but very, very close. PRF is actually number five overall. It is $676 million in total premium in 2020, putting it behind, in order, corn, soybeans, cotton, wheat, and then PRF. Wouldn't not be surprised at all, though, to see PRF become our third biggest crop here in a year or two, because it is creeping up quickly on both cotton and wheat. It's got a ways to go for corn and soybeans, but as far as cotton and wheat, it might be PRF the third most popular crop in terms of premium 
um, not too far down the line. John, and who knows, Ryan? What's that? If we get the other 69% of those acres insured <laughs> and insure 93% of the grazing acres out there, it might take down one of that, those top two. That is very possible. Very possible indeed. <laughs> uh, Chalk, any closing sentiments or ideas or directions for agents and insurers to go out there and learn more about these products? I think the biggest thing is education. Uh, I think I think a large, large part of one, the growth um, is that we are we are talking about PRF, annual forage and apiculture more now than we ever have uh, as an industry. And certainly at FMH, we've been putting a big emphasis on it. Um, and so one, the growth is, is I think, attributed to some of that. But two, uh, I believe that uh, we can do a better job. T- talk to your producers, talk to your, your current customers. If they have any cattle, make sure you talk to them about PRF. Make sure you talk to them about annual forage and, and how that might fit into their operation. Yep. Just to kind of layer on top of that, I'm going to throw out the fact that I've talked to several agents here and I'm, I'm in the, the corn belt, so to speak that still haven't really heard about, or if maybe they have heard about it, they haven't done much in educating themselves on it. Talk to them, educated them all on it. All of a sudden next year, we've got 10 PRF policies on the books because so-and-so had an 80 a pasture and the other eight had a little bit of forage that they're growing. And what do you know? Uh, yeah, actually we do have some PRF ground here in the state of Iowa. So and that's not just Iowa. That would go for a lot of your Corn Belt states. There is a lot of opportunity that gets uh, left on the table because we're so focused on corn and soybeans. And for you farmers out there that have ground that you think might be eligible for one of these programs, be it PRF or annual forage, be sure to mention something to your agent about it um, so that you can um, get some more details on this yourself. Definitely opportunities out there. All right. Well, Thanks again, Chalk, for joining us. Your expertise is very much appreciated. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. And thank you to everybody who joined us in the audience out there for another FMH InsureCast. Have a great day. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast, brought to you by Farmers Mutual Hail, America's crop insurance company. We appreciate you joining us today. And we'd like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share about an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.